Welcome to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. Alec, we have a really amazing guest today. One of the um, people in our community who gets so much done, Julie Ratner from the Ellen Hermanson Foundation. You know, you and I were talking, <laughs> we were talking, it might've sounded a bit morbid, but we were kind of talking about death and transitioning and uh, the Ellen Hermanson Foundation, if you live under a rock, basically is uh, provides uh, breast cancer, breast health services for women and others on Long Island. Right. And, and just so every, anybody that's hearing, death is, is really, we were talking about it before we came on the air, but it's really about life and how we live our lives and, and how we uh, appreciate and value our day-to-day -day life, knowing that, especially if you live long enough, that um, a, a, a transference of your consciousness awaits and, and there's a lot of mystery around that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were talking about that series, Surviving Death, um, which I guess everybody's watching right now. It's it's pretty awesome. Beginning of the pandemic, it was Tiger King, and now it's Surviving Death. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. The, it levels come down a little bit, but uh, it, it's also about the idea that you know Ellen Hermanson is this incredible woman. Developed breast cancer tragically very early in her life. You know died uh, when she was in her early 40s. But the idea that you can, and you and I have talked about this so many times, Sock, over the years, uh, the Japanese have a saying, Hindoku Iyaku, which is turning poison into medicine. And that, that you can take something so tragic in your life and turn it into a cause for celebration and, and take up the banner to help others. Right, and, and I mean, there's so many aspects of that. It's like a hydra uh, when you actually think about, you know, the, the wisdom and power that we all have and is what we can share with people of our own experiences. And when you experience things that are taboo to talk about or things that people are uncomfortable talking about, but you've experienced them, you have unique insight and, and uh, can actually uh, pay it forward in a way that uh, allows people to feel like they're not alone, which I know when we've had Duncan Darrow on, uh, one of the big issues that he always talked about is that when you get a cancer diagnosis, um, you, you, it's, a, it's a form of PTSD or shock that yeah. happens. And, uh, and so I think that I'm excited to talk with Julie because first of all, starting a foundation and running a foundation is interesting unto itself. Um, second of all, uh, the idea that there's this universality of, of um, well, wellness and, um, and how you navigate that I think is really interesting. And then also, and this is something my, um, my mom and dad, uh, my dad who passed uh, always used to say is heaven is being remembered. So, uh, just to be able to remember anybody. Uh, it's really, exactly. I love that. I love that. And you and I have talked about that too, about Damon Runyon saying, you know, you can keep your things of bronze and stone and give me one man to remember me once a year. Um, such a beautiful way of, and, and maybe that's part of our culture, you know, the, our Jewish culture as well as may, may his memory be a blessing or may her memory Could be, be a blessing. Although there's also, uh, we're, we're living in a time with the internet where uh, while we all are going to leave our earthly forms, we're all going to kind of live forever on the internet, which is that both is disturbing and, uh, and maybe there's some comfort in that. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with Julie Ratner from the Ellen Hermanson Foundation. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. We're coming to you on 88.3 WLIWFM, Long Island's only NPR station. You can also stream us online at WLIWFM.org. We'll be right back. The following is a public service announcement from 88.3 WLIWFM. 
Founded in 1974, the Animal Rescue Fund is an animal welfare organization located at 90 Daniels Hole Road in Wainscott on the east end of Long Island. ARF's mission is to actively rescue cats and dogs, provide quality care, and offer sanctuary until loving homes can be found. To adopt, donate, or volunteer, 631-537-0400 or arfhamptons.org. Serving Eastern Long Island and Coastal Connecticut, this is 88.3 WLIW-FM and WLIW.org slash radio in Southampton, New York, Long Island's only NPR station. Your source for news, music, and entertainment, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the real end. How's it hit you when you get that kind of news? And what'd you do? And he said, I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Blue Mansion. And I looked deeper and I spoke sweeter and I gave forgiveness I've been denying. And he said, someday I hope We're back. Sunday's on the East End. Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. And Julie Ratner. Welcome, Julie. Welcome, Julie. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. You know, as I blurted out before, I was listening to your conversation with Alex, and it is a very exciting conversation. So before we talk about the foundation, I just wanted to say, as you were just talking about end of life, I have a friend and, and someone who belongs to the same congregation in New York that I belong to, B'nai Jeshurun, who started this organization called Reimagine Life. And it's all about death, but it's all about life because it's about the life we lead and what we do before we die. And also grappling with those difficult questions that people don't want to talk about that they leave their survivors with also at times. And, and so it, right. it's a very beautiful organization. They do really beautiful work. And the founder is someone, I think you would just connect with her. What's it called again, Julie, the foundation? Reimagine Life. And the founder's name is Jeannie Blaustein. She's absolutely lovely and compassionate, caring, all that we want. And then to your other statement, I think the best thing we can do is to remember someone when you were talking about self, because if we remember that person and we talk about them, in a way, they're still here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And their energy is still being felt. You know, the, the quote unquote memories uh, uh, become present. Yeah. And we're, we all have the ability to be memory keepers. Yeah. You know, you know, Ellen had one child when when my niece Leora was born. She was six months old when Ellen was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And, and so she actually never knew her mother as healthy. She knew Ellen, you know, Ellen was always vibrant and, and brilliant and compassionate and pithy. She couldn't do a lot, especially as the disease progressed. So she never saw her mother in full health ever. And I feel like I'm the memory keeper. And yet you, I cannot call up memories. If you said to me right now, tell me some amazing story about Ellen, I might not be able to think about it. I could think about one or two, but you, in the course of normal conversation of doing things together with my niece, um, last year we took a little road trip to Montgomery, Alabama. She's a she's a she's a lawyer, and um, we had all these memories kept flooding back about the '60s, and it was a wonderful way. We're all we all have the ability to be memory keepers, and perhaps also uh, it's it's always important to to be reminded 
that you know events uh, come and go, uh, but really all you're left with uh, with anybody that you love and you hold in your heart and, and mind is virtue. And what are the virtues of the people that uh, affected your lives? And so uh, maybe that's really how Ellen stays alive to her daughter. Absolutely. Absolutely. And because she was, she was six when Ellen died, she has this hunger to know about Ellen, you know, and um, it was so interesting. One time she got very interested in studying the Roma gypsies when she was in college and she was reading this book. I think it's called Bury Me Standing. And the most amazing thing is Ellen had read it because Ellen was very interested in Roma. Wow. And, you know, it was like almost like genetic. It was like such an amazing, cool. wonderful thing to find out that she had the same passion as her mother did, though they never knew it, never had the opportunity to talk about well, Julie, it. Julie, they're, they're growing up, it was you and Ellen and Emily. And we have an older sister, my sister Emily, who sometimes goes by Lee. When she was in high school, she decided she should be Lee. So she trained <laughs> us all Lee? to call her like Lee. Emily. Like Emily, like, right. But she just did the Lee part. Yeah, of see, Lee. I tried to train people to call me Brie. As, as a nickname before Brie Larson, like just Brie, like, cause I'm expensive and delicious and it, it just never caught on. I, I'm brick. I'm so sorry. Well, if you would like me to call you no, Brie, no, I kind of love Bridge. I kind of know you as Bridget, but you know, I- Bridge is good, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so there were the three of you and uh, you didn't see yourself running a foundation. What was your, you were a teacher, didn't you? Yeah, I, I had different lives, your professional lives. After college, I, I, I went to college in Boston and I actually had a, got a teaching certificate from Massachusetts. I went to Simmons College in Boston, had a teaching certificate. And then I got married. I was in New York. I went to Columbia School of Library Science and I earned a master's in library science. And I became a children's librarian. And I um, was a librarian at two independent schools in New York at the Brearley School and Columbia Grammar and Prep School. And then in the... Um, Mid eighties, um, I, I left my job. One of my daughters was actually quite ill and I left school. She, she, it's a whole other story. She, she, my daughter was 10 years old and had anorexia and I left school to stay home and take care of her. So I left that job and I um, finished, ultimately I finished the academic year and finished my responsibility. And then I didn't work for, for a while. I kind of, I went to design school. I was married at the time and we bought a townhouse and I remember saying to my husband, I can do this. I'm going to go to design school and I'll do it. And I did. I went to design school and I just figured I did all the, I designed furniture. I did the walls, all that stuff. And then what happened is I actually didn't like it. I had my own little company, Julie Ratner Interior Design. I actually had some clients who paid me. Then in 1989, Leora was born in 1988. In 1989, when my older daughter was looking at colleges. I went on some of the college trips. My husband at the time went on some of the trips. And then lo and behold, we took a trip to Brown together in Providence. And I walked onto that campus and I thought, oh my God, I'm home. I need to go here. And, and so we're driving back from Brown. My daughter applied to Brown and she ultimately went to Brown and she had the best experience. I went to Brown for a year. Oh, did you like it? Yeah, I just wasn't ready for college. That's all. I, I'm not a college graduate. I'm that proud happens. of it, but <laughs> we got 15 minutes. You know what? <laughs> that will that will tie in to the last part of this little story. So we're driving home from Brown, and I said, I think I know what Julie Ratner, the next job for Julie Ratner. And they said, What? I said, I want to be dean of admissions at Brown. <laughs> 
<laughs> and you know, like what hubris, right? And chutzpah. So they said, you're a librarian, you're an interior designer. Who's going to hire you? You don't have the credentials. And I said, I'm going to go get them. So I called up Teachers College at Columbia and I said, I didn't even know what I was asking for. I said, listen, I'd like to be Dean of Admissions at Brown. Do you have programs that train people to work with college students? And they said, yes, we do. It's the Department of Higher and Adult Education. So I said, can I come and look at it? And they said, yes. So I went and I said, I'd like to sign up for two courses just to audit, like non-degree, because it was like sort of serious schoolwork. And I thought, can I even write a paper? Do I even know how to do all this stuff? And so I took signed up for two courses and... Um, the second week I met this extraordinary woman named Dawn Person who actually remembered my name. And so I thought, well, I'll just matriculate. So I became a student. And in two years I earned my master's in student personnel administration. Oh my God. And then I thought with a master's degree, you can't really accomplish a lot. I better get my doctorate. <laughs> so I applied to their doctoral program and actually was accepted. And in 1996, a year after my sister passed away, I earned my doctorate from Teachers College Columbia, fully intending to work in my field. I love this field. And it, so much of what you talked about, kids dropping out of school, not being ready for college, the psychosocial part of college students is enormously interesting and exciting to me. However, Ellen was actually, my sister Ellen was an extraordinary writer and editor. She basically wrote Sylvia Porter's last book and she wrote into sort of her bread and butter was writing financial reports. And um, she had a master's degree in journalism. And she was, she, she always said that she would edit my dissertation for me, <laughs> but she didn't live long enough to edit it. So instead I dedicated it to her. Um, and then I met a woman right after my graduation from, or right before I graduated from Teachers College. And I was telling her about Ellen and she said, what a remarkable sister you had. Ellen was always an advocate. She was always involved with her little strength, her failing health. She did extraordinary things. She um, became the founding director of an organization, excuse me, called Judges and Lawyers Breast Cancer Alert, which was um, the head of it was Judith Kay, who was then chief judge of New York State. She was one of the four founders of something called the Jewish Healing Center, which has morphed into the National Center for Jewish, Spiritu for Jewish Spirituality. She was the editor of something called um, The Networker. I think, no. And this is all while she was know, sick, after her diagnosis. This is all while she was sick. She stopped doing financial reports and sort of writing for other people. One, because she was too sick to um, really work um, in a consistent way. And two, because she decided she we could never talk about death. She would never say she never acknowledged that she was dying when she was. She didn't want to know about it. She wanted, she was very focused on work and being productive, on making sure that Leora had everything she needed. Every morning, she was in the hospital a lot the last year of her life. She would call home and say, Okay, Leora, here's the drill. This is lunch, this is school, this is who picks you up. And the brilliance of what she did is my niece was never worried about what happens to me. Someone was always taking care of her and she was always at the forefront. It was Ellen's great gift to her to take, to let her know that she this the sick as her mother was someone, she was there to care for her. If we can backtrack a little bit, because you're talking about a lot of things. <laughs> well, also, but I'm thinking about the 1980s and maybe it's because Alec and I have been taking a little walk down memory lane lately, but to, 
you, you left a, you know, a somewhat lucrative career to look after your daughter uh, who had eating disorder. And then right on the heels of that, a few years later, Ellen develops stage four breast cancer, two things right. that weren't really discussed in the eighties. They really were not the way they no. are today. Today we say eating disorder back then it was whispered and so was cancer. Right. So, you know, it's interesting that you had both of those going on at the same time. How do you see if, if El, you know, if Ellen were alive today and got the diagnosis of stage four breast cancer, how much have things changed since 1989? I think they have changed so much. Treatment has changed. The drugs have changed. You know, individualized treatment has changed based on the genome, understanding the, the genetics of cancer. There's so, so much more research out there. She might be alive if she were diagnosed today. There's so many more opportunities. I think for Ellen, what was so tragic is because she did everything right. Um, when she and her husband decided they wanted to get pregnant, she got it, she had her physical. She went and got a baseline mammogram because there's breast cancer in our family. She got a clean bill of health, got pregnant, had this beautiful baby girl who refused to nurse on one side. And, and, and Alan kept complaining for so long, there's something wrong, there's something wrong, you know, and, and for so long she was said, you know, it's a milk duct. And I think neurosis runs deep in my family. So, you know, she probably presented as a little neurotic and they probably thought new mother, a little neurotic. And they, she was kind of blown off mm. till one day she wasn't blown off. And I kind of, my feeling is that the doctor said, you know, we'll take a look, it's gonna be nothing. I remember the day she had her biopsy. I didn't go with her and she just, I'm gonna be fine. They said, it's absolutely nothing. It's just routine, you know, to, to, to so I won't be so worried. And I never heard from her the whole day. And I remember as if it were yesterday, standing at the kitchen sink, making dinner, and then calling her and saying, hey, Ellen, I haven't heard from you all day. What's going on? And she could not get out the words, I have breast cancer. Right. And just, it was the beginning of such a journey for her and all of us. And my father was a radiologist and he understood immediately, you know, when she had the surgery and the pathology report came back, he understood immediately how difficult it was going to be for her to, to recover and stay alive. And my father's gift to us was he never told us till after she died that he understood that stage four breast cancer was basically a death sentence. Right. And all right. And, and, and you know, what's interesting just in hearing you talk and, and uh, there's you know, we, we all live individual lives, but our lives are also parallel. Uh, I've I've dealt with anorexia in my family uh, as a, as somebody that is supportive. The the fears and the and the responsibility of of trying to navigate that as a loved one. You know, having a kid at ten years old with anorexia was that was the most scared I've ever been in my life. Um, and I've also dealt with uh, all of these kind of moments that. Dying is, is in my um, vicarious experience of watching, um, is something that really happens at the very end of life. Whereas the fears of dying and the, the fight to stay alive with cancer um, is something that could take months, if not years. And that one of the um, it, it, it's, it, it may, may be a little subtle, but I think it's a key point 
is to rem remember, it sounds like Ellen had this uh, uh, organically, that you're living, you're living, you're living, you're living with something, with, you know, and, and, and then at a certain point, uh, you're not going to be able to sustain your life anymore. Um, but that, that's the shift. Um, whereas when you think about cancer, when I think about cancer and I think about all these things, I think there's so much fear and anxiety that when you get that diagnosis, that life is over. And it's in a way, it's just, no, this is now, uh, the, the clock is, is ticking differently. That's really it. You know, it's interesting. I think when you have cancer, when she had cancer, I think for her, what was very difficult was the feeling, the realization that we really have no control. You know, you do everything right, you have no control. And, and, that was, and, and that was kind of a theme for her. And she said to me, she was really a teacher for me later in my life. Um, she said to me, you know, I didn't choose to have breast cancer. I choose how I live with it. She didn't choose this hand. I choose how I play it. And then she said to me, breast cancer has been a really great opportunity. And this is, and she said, you know, and she used it to do things that she might not have done, to work in only what interested her, to focus on her daughter, to focus on her husband. Um, she just, to, to make the friends that ma matter, matter. I mean, she, she really led a life of meaning as much as possible, you know, right. not as much as possible, a completely full life of meaning that was at times inhibited by the disease. Her, she had terrible, horrific pain. And she said, she had said once, the thing that we fear more than anything as a cancer patient is the pain because it was totally debilitating. It took over her life. At the very end, she could not get out of her bed because the pain was so bad. You know, she couldn't, take a shower because she had didn't have a walk-in shower she had a bathtub and because her she had to, had to have her hip replaced because the um cancer split spread to the bone and she had to have her hip replaced she couldn't raise her leg to go over the sill of the tub to get it to take a shower it was so difficult for her right. things that we just take for granted and and so and and uh, if you don't mind though um so uh, your, your sister passes Yep. And, and when did the foundation come? So I start, oh, that was right. I'll get back. So I, I defended my dissertation and I met this extraordinary woman named Vivian Shapiro, who lives here in um, Bridgehampton. She's a force of nature. And during the course of this lunch, I'm telling her about Ellen. She said, what a remarkable sister. You need to honor her. And I said, yes, you're right. I'm trying to think about what to do. I haven't thought about it. I'll get there. She said, Nope, you run marathons, we're gonna do a run and we're gonna call it Ellen's Run. I knew her for 15 minutes and this all this all transpired in the first 15 minutes of knowing this person. I love Ellen's Run. I, you know what, uh, forgive me for being so ignorant. Uh, my, my girlfriend's a runner and uh, she has she does Ellen's Run every year. Oh, yeah, goody, goody. She did it with her daughter two years ago, who's uh, just 14 now. And what an amazing thing. So let's, I, I wanna talk about that as well. Wait, wait, wait. Well, I'm gonna tell you my little Ellen's Run anecdote. You all know I am not a runner. I am barely a walker. I am more like a sit under the quilt with a tea, cup of tea and a book. And I did Ellen's run. I was on Barbara Borsak's team one year. Uh, oh, great, sure. But it was before it was before I lost 100 pounds. So I was quite overweight. I was over 200 pounds and I kind of hobbled, hobbled, hobbled 
all the way to the finish line. I was one of the last people to, uh, to cross, but at the very end, I got up the energy and, because the photographer was taking a picture and I ran right. across the finish line. Through, right. I have that photo finish of me running. Right. And then right. I, oh, that's yeah. great. So, well, so, so Alan's run was the, was the, the impetus for the whole foundation or, or? Yes, we started the first Ellen's run. And even that, you know, like, um, we, we had our first meeting for Ellen's Run at my dining room table in May. And we decided what, we'll have- What year, Julie? 1996. And we said, we'll have the run in August. And we, had, we made it the third Saturday in August, which ultimately we changed to the third Sunday. And the, the day of the run, we're packing. Oh, everyone said to me, by the way, you don't, you know, it's not going to happen. You'll be lucky to get 100 people. You'll be lucky if after you pay your expenses, you um, have any money left over. Yeah, and then, and, then I thought, and then my mother, bless her soul, said, you don't know what you're doing. And I said, that never stopped me before. You're, you're a college admissions person. Yeah, I said, well, that never stopped me before. Why would I let it stop me now? I, I didn't know I needed a permit. I knew I had been a runner for years. I ran five marathons. I, I was part of New York Road Runners. I showed up at every run, but I didn't know what to do. I would just go pick up my number, pin it to my shirt, and show up at the starting line. I had no idea about the back end of all this, but I found out very quickly. We actually raised a fair amount of money. Someone donated t-shirts. The morning of the run, at six o'clock, we get to East Hampton High School. We're packing goodie bags. The runners arrive. We're totally disorganized. And it went off. Everyone did amazing. Their times, everyone was thrilled. They, they ran the best race ever. Why? We mismeasured the course and we're off by two-tenths of a mile. <laughs> so this wonderful gentleman, Howard Lebwith, who is a local dentist in East Hampton, sort of just this beloved person, he just passed away a few months ago, called me up and said, you need help? <laughs> you need a little help. I'm going to volunteer to be your oh, race wow. director. And that's how he came on board the next year. Wow. And, it, and then we incorporated and became a foundation. We established a mission, which is really taken from Ellen's life, which was at that mission, which we've since changed somewhat, was educational outreach to women who are medically underserved about the importance of early detection, mammography, breast self-examination. And then that was our mission. And then in 2000, we enlarged, our, we added to the run, we added a... Um, a Saturday night party, like a gala party, so we could make more money, we hoped. And we added to our mission, we started a, a program called right. Ellen's Well. Ellen's Well is all about free psychosocial support. And that also came from Ellen. Ellen was part of an amazing support group the last year of her life with four, three other women. There were four women in the group and a wonderful psychiatrist from Sloan Kettering. And the group, they were so perfectly matched. They were all in their early 40s, all married, all with children, and they all passed away within mm -hmm. a month or two of each other. And, and, but it was a support group that Ellen said sustained her. She would call me at sometimes midnight because she couldn't sleep and she was worried and she didn't want to bother Hugo. These women mm -hmm. had each other. Yeah. And, and I understood from that. And that's why we started Ellen's Well. And we hired a full-time oncological social worker who is still with us to this day. Her name is Eva O'Brien. And she's kind of our magic weapon. She's our angel for everyone. She and, is, and, and when did Ellen's Run move to Southampton? 2009 was the first one. We loved East Hampton. It, has a, it was a great course. It had parking. It had everything. 
and then one day the high school decided they needed to enlarge and they took they wouldn't give us a permit because they couldn't it wouldn't be safe so for three years while they were building their new school we were at southampton southampton took us in mark um i'm just blanking on his name you're the mayor mark Epley, thank you. I can't believe I've seen your moment here. Mark Epley could not have been more welcoming. And he said, I love it, you guys are here. You have to come back every year. And we did. And then the same years we had our first run in Southampton was the year that the Ellen Hermanson Breast Center opened. And I was going to say, because that's that's with the Southampton Hospital. It's part right? of Southampton Hospital. We had been funding, we, I mean, the foundation had been funding critical technology for the for the hospital. For, so that women could have mammograms, that there was a designated room. We had been funding um, a technology that would just make, make it better. And then in the end of 2008, Bob Chaloner, I think who had been at the hospital for about a year, called me and said, I have a proposition for you. And I said, okay. And he said, if you would underwrite a new facility for, for you know, a new self-contained facility that would be a breast center, the hospital would be honored to name it for Ellen. I took it to my board. They were, we were all very anxious. If you remember 2008, the economy kind of crashed. That was a debacle with the crash and Bernie Madoff and all kinds of stuff. And we thought, will we actually be able to meet our goal? And Bob Chaloner could not have been more wonderful to work with. He was very supportive. So we did it. And, and that was in, in January of 2009. And in August, 2009, the Breast Center opened. That's beautiful. And, 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 and so uh, for anybody that's listening that, uh, you know, has either some concerns or some desires to, uh, to access everything, uh, the, the portal, the human portal, not the internet portal, is at Southampton Hospital? Yes. Yes. We, it has its own entrance. It has a sign above the door that says the Ellen Hermanson Breast Center. And it has a lovely waiting room. You know, when when the breast center was built, Dr. Koppenhaus, who's the medical director and the breast surgeon there, said, you know, she wanted to make it kind of spa-like, so it's not a threatening environment. And so there's kind of cove lighting and pale colors and artwork all over the walls, and and it's and they have um, from the different bra auctions, they have these lovely sculptures. It's it's. You know, they have the faux wood floors so that it, it doesn't feel as institutional as it could. Right. And, and the new facility, you know, before, relatively, the one that just opened on Route 39, um, are, do you guys... That's the, that's the Phillips Family Cancer Center. Right. Do you have any um, uh, real estate there, so to speak, or are you... Yes, we do. Um I had the great opportunity to meet Barbara Phillips at the groundbreaking, and I, you know, she was just a terrific lady, and and which has nothing to do with what we did, but I know how important chemotherapy is, and so when they were opening the center, the Ellen Hermanson Foundation pledged to underwrite ten of the chemotherapy chairs, which we did. Wow, that's amazing! You know, we're going to take a really quick break, and when we come back, I want to hear more about the Ellen Hermanson Foundation sure. and its founder Julie Ratner. And also just about what what people can do kind of going forward uh, and, and what the Ellen Hermanson Foundation wants to offer going forward and also talk a little bit about some of the fun events. We have some we fun have events had. right there. Exactly. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. And with our guest, Julie Ratner. We're on WLIW-FM. 
Long Island's only NPR station. We are listener-supported public radio. We'll be right back. The following is a public service announcement from 88.3 WLIW-FM. Are you saving for college? 529 College Savings Plans are offered by states to provide easy and affordable ways to save for college. Savings in advance is a key part of preparing for higher education and avoiding high student loan debt. Also, national studies show that students with savings are much more likely to attend and graduate from college than students with no savings. Information on how you can start saving at collegesavings.org. Next time on the New Yorker Radio Hour, we'll look at how the Trump administration made it so hard to gain asylum in the United States. I am very sorry for what has happened to your family. If the laws of the United States gave me a way to provide you protection, I would. We are adjourned in your case. Thank you. Rewriting Immigration. That's next time on the New Yorker Radio Hour. Sunday night at 11 on 88.3 WLIW-FM. I'm Meg Noonan, inviting you to join me on 88.3 WLIW-FM for Freeform Radio at its new time every Sunday night from 9 to 11. You'll hear a lively mix of rock in all its glorious subgenres, plus a heavy dose of soul, R&B, and more. So tune in to Freeform Radio, where variety reigns supreme, Sundays at 9 p.m. on 88.3 WLIW-FM and WLIW.org slash radio, Long Island's only NPR station. We're back. Sunday's on the East End. And uh, Alec and I are talking with Julie Radner from the Ellen Hermanson Foundation, which is Breast Health for All. We were talking about some of the fun uh, events you've had over the years. This is like Ellen's Well. Uh, it sounds like is is where a lot of the fun events kind of plume out from. I, w- I want to be clear. Ellen's Well is a program that we fund. And, and there are different, yeah. different, um, different, aspects to Ellen's well. One is the support groups that Elo O'Brien, our oncological social work, worker, facilitates virtually now because of COVID. And she has groups for newly diagnosed women and women with metastatic disease and ongoing wellness. We also this year have committed to fund transportation. One of the biggest issues 
that keep people from treatment and from getting the med- medical care they need, especially out here in the East End is transportation. Absolutely. And then, and we're also funding, we fund other modalities. We funded Reiki for women while they're going undergoing their treatment. This year, we're also funding a bilingual, bicultural outreach worker because we know that we need to do much more with communities at risk, such as Latina women. Yeah, that's and women who speak Spanish. So we try to make ourselves, we work very closely with the community and we want, the only way to be relevant is to be able to reach communities that need to be reached. Last year, we made a grant to the Shinnecock Reservation for something called the Pink Shawl Project, which will work with women on the reservation. Um, and, and so, so Ellen's Well is, is a program and under that umbrella come other smaller programs and we fund that and it's maintained through the Southampton Hospital Foundation. We also fund most of the equipment that's in the Ellen Hermanson Breast Center. So this year we're, we're funding um, a new piece of equipment that will just make um, what's called seed localizations much easier to do. I'm not enough of a science to t- talk about. I was going to say, I mean, when you started on this this particular path, did you ever think you would know this much about no. breast, breast not, cancer? Not, God, no, not at all. Or about the technology. What happened is once, I actually thought in 2009 after the breast center opened, I thought, well, my work is done. We have a breast center. Totally forgetting that technology is out of date in a year or two and that you need to keep up. And now I kind of feel like this is a very special place on the East End. We have the same level of ability or capability as you would find at a teaching hospital. And so I don't want to ever lose that. My goal is to make sure because we who live here, women who live here, deserve and need to have that same level of access to care that someone could get living in, in, in a large metropolitan area. And besides, we think in my foundation, it is an absolute core tenet that healthcare is a human right. Right, absolutely. And and um, I mean, it's it's awe-inspiring and, and everything is like one one little lily pad after another after another. Right, right. <laughs> See this, you see a Monet, you know, like it's um, oh, Monet. I love it. Yeah. So we all have our own Monet. Let's talk about the fun stuff. So how people can get involved and, and have well, the fun stuff. Well, our next fun, you know, we have this wonderful event during the summer, and we can if anyone wants to, they can go to our website ellenhermanson.org and even just see the whole video from last summer. We did a virtual video gala, and my concern then right. was having been to it, this is when, when video galas were new, that I went to a few that were just not great. You know, one or two that I thought should have been great because they were at arts organizations. And I thought, oh my God, this is horrible. So I said to my group, we have to make sure that this is interesting. I want tiny, short little segments. I don't want anyone to get bored and have to go get a glass of water or a glass of wine to get through this. And so we had short little segments and, and we just really worked on keeping it very, a little, a little bit, a little bit of surprise. We had Jessica Kirsten, who is this wonderful comedian on, and we got shout outs from wonderful people and one, and we had some great honorees, five great honorees. And one of the shout outs was from Hillary Clinton for Patty Kenner, who was our, one of our honorees. And Patty is a great philanthropist, very hard worker, very politically involved in the world. And she'd been, she's known Hillary for years. And and I've actually, because of Patty, I've known Hillary, but Hillary it. came on and did this whole beautiful piece for us that we broke up into little segments. And we had other people who who Zoomed on. And it was- But, but, but what's interesting is they're Zooming on 
because they have a direct emotional relationship with with either somebody who, who has had breast cancer or with the the idea of of being part of the community that's that's on the side of uh, life and lifestyle and wellness. You know, we started out very grassroots, and we feel that we're still grassroots, you know, and we welcome the community. You know, the best way, we're doing a, a virtual variety gala on March 6th, and we're starting to, you know, we're really pulling it together. We have um, extraordinary talents, and I, I, you know, I have my, um, we have a wonderful, we're getting all our collateral ready. Variety? I love variety. <laughs> Julie, you looked away while he was, he's juggling. Alec oh, here you are. Him. Wow. We have this incredible variety show. And, and you know, and, and then we'll have a wonderful MC, Michelle Ballon, who is a um, stand-up comic and very funny. And, you know, and then we, we interspersed with all this, we do our big plea and our big push for fundraising. And this year, we're going to be fundraising. We're, we're starting um, to collaborate with three organizations, the Retreat, the center and and um, with Minerva Perez, and because we feel these are all communities of women who are not maybe in the pipeline enough. Yeah, we're working with the retreat Ola yeah. and the center, which used to be the Bridgehampton Center. It's, it's um, Bonnie Cannon, and that's what we're doing now. That's wonderful, and you know, full disclosure, um, I, I'm somewhat involved with that particular winter gala. Um, I being, know you are being an so, honoree this year, which we're honoring. Yeah. We're honoring community heroes, and we're honoring women, East End women in media. And you were one of the first that came to mind. And it, for me, it was great because honestly, I never spoke to you that much before, and I've seen you at a million events. But full disclosure, I can be shy. You know, I can be shy and over. And so I don't necessarily just go up to people and talk, but this is now I'm going to know you forever. So this is the best. And we're, we're really thrilled that you have agreed to be an honoree and we're thrilled to, to recognize you. Well, it's been an honor because when we started the independent, yeah, that was almost hand in hand with the Ellen Hermanson Foundation coming to be. In the beginning, I remember covering very, I think when you started it, we, we wrote a story. So it's a, uh, we had so many stories and we were given many covers. You know, they would be, especially before the race, there would be all the runners lined up at the start. It was a fabulous cover and I was so grateful oh for that and for that How many people did you have at the first run approximately and how many people do you have now? We had about 400 adults and 100 children because we said we'd have games. One of our volunteers at the time was like a gym teacher in elementary school. She organized games, everything. It was It was great. And then the second run, and then it grew. Um, we've had as many as oh, a little slightly over a thousand, maybe eleven 1, hundred wow. people. This year, obviously, because it was virtual. Last year was you know um, two thousand nineteen. I think we had close to a thousand people. That's amazing. You know, and, and it, it's it's a great course, and and you know we have warm up exercises. We have this guy Raji Raj, who's our DJ. It's very local, very community, and people really come out for this and we honor the breast cancer survivors we always have serious runners who use this as it's like a training run for them but the, it's the breast it's really about the breast cancer survivors and every year there's a story about someone who's survived their chemo who just finished their treatment um just moving stories and then we take a picture of all the breast cancer survivors and to see all these women 
who are standing together, sort of proud, defiant, strong, um, full of life and energy. It, it, it always makes me cry to see this because it's just it's sort of oh, it's very beautiful. Moving. It's a beautiful thing. And uh, what what do you see it maybe morphing into in the future? Do you think that maybe it, you might go further up island or or anything? Or are you going to kind of stick you know, with that? We haven't done that. We're still a very small foundation and it has not, there's so many breast cancer organizations around. I think what we have here is we fill a very special little niche. We don't do research. Um, and we're all about access, making sure that there is a facility that is able to accommodate all the women who are here. And now, especially because of coronavirus, you know, the community has, has just grown. And, and the number of women who are calling for mammograms and for to come in is actually grown also. And, and so I would like us just to be able to do- I'm sorry, what, what, I was I gonna, what, what do you attribute sorry, that to, to more people during the coronavirus coming forward? I think leaving the city, not wanting to be there, you know, life is so much easier out here. You can get in your car. You can. I took a walk this morning, and I did not pass one four mile walk. I did not pass one wow. person. Amen to that. I did. I passed one person on the beach. Amen that was to it. that. You know, and you don't I need like to wear that. a mask if you're walking by yourself on the street. And um, there's fresh air. It just it feels so less inhibiting. You know, my daughter's here with her ten month old baby. If we had to be in a small apartment. I don't think we'd be as happy as we are. You know, we're pretty happy. And 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 um and this little baby can crawl around, she does what she wants. I think I think people are leaving and they're appreciating being out of the city. And the stuff that kept us in the city, whether it was theater, museums, restaurants, we wouldn't be doing that anyway. And I think we're discovering there are other parts of yeah. life that are pretty meaningful and satisfying. Well, what would like being together? Sorry, would you, um, for someone who who is maybe wanting to remember someone who is thinking about starting a foundation or a small organization or a nonprofit, what words of advice would you give to someone just starting out? That's that's an interesting question. Um, I would say you know think carefully through what you're doing and what your goal and purpose is because you want it to be compelling and interesting and meaningful to people. We, we, we ultimately, as I said, the year, a year or two after the Ellen Hermson Breast Center opened, we revisited our mission statement and changed it, which is to ensure access to quality breast health care and enable people affected by cancer. And our goal is to, that's our, that's our mission. By ensuring, and that is something that resonates to make sure that everyone, regardless of who you are, and you have access to care. And when we, when Bob Challoner spoke to us about, you know, helping to fund a new breast center, we said yes, we would do it. But we had only two provisos, like telling him what we insist upon. I said one, figure out how to marry the rigor of a teaching hospital with the warmth of a community, mm -hmm. and two, make sure that no one is ever turned away because they don't have insurance. So those are our only two requirements. That's wonderful. So you treat people no matter what uh, health insurance they have or if they, they have, have to be treated. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, it's, this is not a conversation about healthcare in this country. I just will say that not be, being proactive is still much less expensive than being reactive. You know, so if you're proactive about your health and you, nip, you can't necessarily stop what's going to happen, but if you catch things early in your life, 
it's certainly a lot better than trying to react to it and make yourself well. Or, or and the same thing, breast cancer is more more curable when it's early. Yes. So, so it's the, much better to get into the medical pipeline early. Access is everything. Okay. And for women who are at risk, you know, if they're the head of the family and you get sick and you and you you're already struggling, just put that on top, lay that on top of it, and it's impossible. Um, in the time we have left, because sure. we're, we're coming to the end of our, our conversation, uh, I want to return to Ellen, if you don't mind. Alas, uh, I'd love to talk about her. So. And, and well, it, it, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but uh, what made her laugh? Oh, that's such a funny question. Um, her favorite movie was Annie, Annie Hall. You know, uh, that made her laugh. You know. Um, she liked just, you know, she would laugh with her friends. They would just sit there and talk and shoot the breeze, talk about friends, and I would just hear hysterical laughter coming. Lior, her little girl, was, was a very funny little baby and made her laugh hysterically. Um, she was a great reader and she loved to read things. She, I would often hear her reading and she would be laughing because something about what she was reading was very funny and struck her as very funny. Um, it is such an interesting question because this is not the best thing. I came from a family there where there wasn't a lot of laughter. Okay. But we all love to laugh. You know? Right. And, and I, I ask that again. Because I find that especially as time goes on and, and you do so much good works and the foundation does so much good works. But I certainly hope that nobody, anybody that's listening, we don't forget. We're all people. We all have an energy. And, and I certainly find that uh, laughter uh, is something that uh, reveals uh, uh, people. And so uh, it's, it's, it's to anytime I watch Annie Hall from this point on, I'll think about Ellen. Yeah, you know, um, the Brooklyn Academy of Music has, has um, movie theaters and they opened and when they were building the theaters and, and, and um, they had a small sort of arts theater there and they named it for Ellen. So, oh, you know, she has her own little theater because she loved BAM. She loved, she loved, she lived in Brooklyn. She loved Brooklyn. She, you know, Ellen, you know what made her laugh? Things that were absurd. She, anything that was totally absurd and really ridiculous, would, she would just peals of laughter. She loved yeah. that. Well, that's you know, awesome. cool. That is a memory that is definitely a blessing. And uh, Julie Ratner, thank you so much for coming on the show with us today talking about your sister, the memories of her, and the incredible um, cause that you that you took up as a result of the tragedy of losing her with the Ellen Hermanson Foundation. People can go online and the uh, web address is? EllenHermanson.org and come to our gala March 6th. There's no charge to sign up. You have to sign up to come on so we can send you the link. And of course, there'll be opportunities if one is feeling like they want to make a contribution, we will always take it and be grateful. It's going to be a lovely fun event. It'll be about 45, 50 minutes long. A lot of laughter, I think a lot of fun, and we welcome everyone, so do come. And hopefully by August, uh, six or seven months uh, away, uh, everybody will can start training now for the 5K. It's only 5K, right? August 16th. I've already, I actually put a, a request for a permit into the town of Southampton. Right. So that hopefully everybody can start walking and training. And, exactly. And, uh, I will tell you, as, as somebody who has watched and rooted on now, Dana, my girlfriend, um, it's a spectacular day, a festival-like feeling. Thank you for saying um, that. And, and, and a day 
that, that if I am not a runner, it makes me want to be a runner. Well, it come, makes, just so you can cheer her on and be at the finish line. I'm there, I'm there, absolutely. <laughs> well, I will see you this year. I'm the guy with the lawn chair near the finish line. <laughs> yeah, that we one. We can give out medals yeah. together. I, I have the great pleasure at the end of the day giving out the medals to all the winners. We can do it together. Yeah, awesome. that would be great. Well, Julie, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Alec, do you have any last words? Yeah, you know what? Thank you so much, Julie, and, and to everybody. You know, we're, we're into February now. It is winter, uh, and winter, you know, uh, in the cycle of, of our year, always is a metaphor for, for death, let's say, right? Like that, but, but spring is coming, and life continues, and the cycles continue. What I would say is, is uh, you never stop living. You never stop living, even after you've taken on a different form as long as uh, your energy and your virtues are remembered. And uh, that if you do know anybody or uh, that may have a, a, a breast cancer issue or you might have a breast cancer issue, please, please know that there are uh, uh, organizations and places that are there to help you uh, continue to live and uh, enjoy your life. So uh, I would just say to everybody, uh, you know, love each other, wear your masks, uh, stay healthy, be well and stay well. What doesn't kill you makes